you want to turn to Philippians, the book of Philippians in the New Testament, I invite you there. Turn if you have a copy of the scriptures, or if you want to pull it up on your device, or, and feel free to look it up in the table of contents in the front. You can find it. I uh, have to do that myself as opposed to just trying to flip until I get there. Um, whatever you need to do, Philippians, we'll hang out there. Before we do, I'll share with you that I guess it was roughly six, six and a half or so years ago that uh, Jamie and I were looking to buy a new home, not move to a new city. We were staying in the same place, but we're looking to buy a, a home that had a little more space, a little more square footage. We had just found out uh, that we were going to have a, another little Nino running around. Uh, his name ended up being Freeman. You guys have seen him. Uh, but we had found out we are going to have another one. We weren't real sure where we were going to put him, and him sleeping in the room with us for the rest of his life just didn't feel like the right option. And so we were trying to figure out this house thing, and it just turns out that a house that we had seen before that was way out of our price range, uh, we heard that it was available again at a much lower price, and so uh, we got a contract on this house uh, because they, they told us it was built in 1976. It's in great shape, but it looks like 1976 inside, and they were not lying. I walked in there, and I totally expected Marsha Brady to come around the corner at some point and be like, my nose, the football. Anyways, right? So, um, but, but, so we, we got a, a great deal on the house because of, of that, and we got under contract. We had a contract on our house within like two or three days, just a cool God thing, and we thought, hey, we'll be in there in a few weeks. We'll, we'll get there. It'll be great. And this thing started to stretch out and stretch out, and it took weeks and weeks and weeks. We had to go at least a couple of times to the owners of the home that we were wanting to purchase and ask for them to extend our contract. The, the second time was by a long, heartfelt letter that I wrote them about how much we wanted to be a family in this house, the way that they had been. It was, I mean, I meant it, but now I'm looking back on it like, that was good. You know, and so they, they, they stretched it out again, and they said, this is the absolute last time, and we were good to go on our end. The buyer of our house was having some, some complications. They had had to swap mortgage companies and some different stuff was going on. And we had been told, hey, it's going to be kind of borderline yes, no kind of thing. And every day felt like an eternity waiting to hear back. And I actually uh, was able to get a contact, a connection with the mortgage company they were using. And so it wasn't even my mortgage company, but I started contacting them to just go, hey, how are things going today? And they probably shouldn't have been, but they would give me a little bit of info about how it was going. And things were just taking forever, and I finally remember we were getting close to kind of the X date where we either had to be in or out because the people weren't going to extend hours any longer. And I remember saying to my wife, it's okay if we don't get it. Like, life's not over if we don't get this house. We may not supposed to have this house, but not knowing is absolutely killing me. Right? I had probably over-idolized it a little bit, uh, obsessed about it a bit. Uh, if you'll know me, that's one of my greatest strengths and weaknesses. I can do that. And so... I was in on this house, so here's what I figured out. I had been told, hey, listen, we're not even going to be able to tell you by the date that you're asking to know by because we have several offices of this big mortgage corporation that are all going to do a corporate retreat, and, and our CEO has told us, you don't do any work for these two days on this, and we're just not going to be able to get it done. And I was like begging, like, please, is there any way? And they said no. So what I did, and I don't know if I would encourage or not encourage, I'm really not sure, but I, I just happened to think, hey, I know this girl's email that works at the mortgage company, and I realized that it's her, the first letter of her first name with her last name at the name of the company.com. And so I thought, I'll just take a chance. So I looked up the CEO of the whole mortgage company. And I said, I'll just try that with his name. And I put in his first letter and his last name. And I emailed him very politely and said, hey, listen, I'm very sorry to be a nuisance. I, I read and understand about you that you want to do everything you can for your customers. I don't mean to be an inconvenience, but could you please release this young lady for just a few hours to finish this up while she's on her retreat? And 
and it was amazing how quick it got done. Y'all, it got done so fast. And then I heard in a few days after that that there was this girl who was like an hour away from me in this mortgage bank that was like, didn't like me very much. She's like, he contacted the CE. I was like, yes, I did. And we got the house, right? We got the house, right? Now, I probably overdid it, right? I probably was just too zoned in, but it was the feeling of just not knowing that was just driving me nuts. It's like, hey, there will be another house. You know, like we can keep living in this house. I, I've seen people live in five and six deep in concrete block huts. Right? We'll be fine. I just need to know. <laughs> Have you been there? Where the not knowing is the thing that's absolutely just constantly just kind of pricking at you and needling you and just bothering you over and over. You go, I just need to know. Right? You know you're going to have a child, and you just can't wait for that date to find out which one. Is it a boy or is it a girl? Right? Some of you are doing that on purpose and waiting until they're born. I have no idea how you're doing that. Some of you used to not have a choice. I have no idea how you did that. Right? Like, it's so hard. I just remember wanting to know. i got to know. Or maybe you made a bid on the job, and you're going, hey, this kind of drastically changes Right, how I'm looked at in the workplace, or this drastically affects the future of our company. I need to know, do we get this or not? And you're just sitting on pins and needles. You're waiting to get the test score back on the test that you took. And you're going, hey, I know it probably wasn't good, but I at least want to know how bad it was. Or maybe you're waiting on the test results from the doc. You're going, hey, wait, one, one way or another, I can deal with what it is, but I really need to know. See, that's pretty common experience. I see people kind of nodding their head as I'm mentioning these things because we've all been in that place where if we're not careful, uncertainty can dictate that we'll be unhappy. Not knowing can, can mean to us if we let it that there's no chance that we would be happy. As we've started a few weeks ago, we're taking 15 weeks in this study series that we're calling Happy? Question mark? Just, just for you to ask yourself and go, hey, am I happy? And more importantly, does God really care if I'm happy or not? Like, is, is that really something that's on God's mind? Is he worried about the happiness of people? Is he worried about the happiness of his people, if you're one of those? And what we're seeing as we're walking through the book of Philippians is that this guy named Paul is writing over and over again multiple times. He mentions and references this core theme of joy. And we said that if we're understanding Scripture rightly, joy is not a, a complete, different, distinct thing from happiness. Joy is just happiness that's bigger and better. Joy is this, this intense, resilient happiness that can be found only in and from Jesus. And over and over again, Paul's telling us what it looks like for him to have joy. He's telling us what it would look like for us to have joy. God cares so much about our happiness, he even commands us a couple of different places in this letter to be joyful. Hopefully you're working on memorizing. Right? Philippians 3.1, finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these same things to you, and it is safe for you. He commands us, rejoice. This is something you have to choose to do, rejoice in the Lord, right? He could be saying, be radiantly, strongly, magnificently happy in the Lord. If we paraphrase it down to our language, that's what he's saying. We've seen in the first couple of weeks that there's joy in Jesus and the new identity that he gives us. He calls us saints, not sinners. We see that there's joy in the relationships that he places around us when we focus those on him. We saw last week that 
There's happy for, happiness for us even in our hurting when we aim that for gospel reach. It's kind of what Paul was talking about as we left off last week. We ended in verse 18, and he was speaking of his own hurting as he's in prison writing this letter. Somewhere in the midst of a, of a two-year-long imprisonment in Rome, house arrest, but chained by a very short chain to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. So he's not coughing solo. He's not eating solo. He's not bathrooming solo. He's not thinking solo. He's not doing anything solo for two whole years. He's chained to this guy. And he said, hey, I'm writing this so that you'll know what it looks like to have this joy. You'll know what it looks like to have happiness even in the midst of your hurt. It's kind of where we left off last week. Can you imagine that as you're sitting there day after day for two years, can you imagine how much uncertainty is just all in that situation? How many big questions you would have? You're imprisoned by the emperor of Rome. Can you imagine all the things that must be swirling through your head and the things you don't know the answers to yet? That's where Paul is when he says these words, starting in verse 19. He's just finished off 18 by saying, I rejoice because no matter why people are preaching Jesus, they're preaching Jesus. I rejoice that people are hearing about Jesus. Is what he said in verse 18. Then he finishes off 18 with this. Yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Notice, first of all, kind of that weird separation in our English translations in the Bible, that last little tidbit of verse 18, at least in, in the ESV, the one I'm using, right? It kind of starts the paragraph for, for verse 19. It says, yes, and I will rejoice. He's just said, I'm going to rejoice because Jesus is being preached. And then he says, yes, and I will rejoice for, so he's going to give us a bunch of reasons why he can rejoice. He's going to list some more stuff for us that would cause him to rejoice. That's what we just read the start of. But before he gets there, he says, I will rejoice. I just want to pause really quickly just to make sure we don't let it escape us that this is him making a future commitment. <laughs> he's talking about something that's going to happen from his life in future tense. Yes, and I will rejoice. I will choose to rejoice in this Jesus. I will choose happiness. And now, for some of us who have tasted the depths and the dregs of, of anxiety or depression, I've been there, if that's you, we know that this idea of choosing is not always super simple. It's not always super emotionally aligned within us. And yet, and still, there is a reality that we must choose if we're going to have happiness in Jesus. This morning, Completely unrelated to this idea, at least as far as I know it. As I was walking out of Friendly Gus with my biscuit and grits, come on, it was good, by the way. As I was walking out and just kind of thinking to God and, and communicating with God and, and just in stillness of my own mind, I just, just really clearly, it came from a song I've been singing, but just really clearly came to me, worship is always willful. Worship is always willful. It's not something that's forced. It's a decision that we make. And you see that we worship as we choose gladness in God. Paul says, yes, and I don't know what's coming tomorrow, he's about to say. I don't know how great it's going to go or how poorly circumstantially it's going to go. But either way, I'm committed to the fact that I am going to rejoice in Jesus. Have you made that decision for your life? Have you made that commitment for your life? 
feels like a really big commitment, right? Like, God, no matter what comes, I'm going to worship you. And if I'm being honest with you, my inclination is to not make a big future commitment. And that way, if I don't rejoice in the future, I'm not breaking my word to what I said to God. But watch this. Whether I make the commitment or not, I'm still not honoring the God who's commanded my rejoicing. Not signing my name on the line doesn't remove me from the honorable obligation to worship this God, to rejoice in him. Will you make that commitment today, regardless of what circumstances are coming to your mind as you're hearing about hardship in Paul's life? Regardless of what uncertainty, and you're sitting there going, man, I just wish I knew. Maybe something small like the paint color, maybe something huge like what's going down next year. As you're sitting there in that moment, have you chosen, will you choose? By the, by the Spirit of God in you that gives you self-control, will you choose willfully to rejoice in Him and be happy? He says, yes, and I will rejoice, verse 19. He says, for, so he's going to connect the thoughts. This is why I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, we know from the end of verse 20, which we also just read, that when he says this will turn out for his deliverance, he's not necessarily talking about physical release from imprisonment. That's what it looks like at first is, is Paul's going, hey, I know for sure this is going to turn out for my deliverance. I'm going to be released. But then he says at the end of verse 20, right, it's, it's all about what's going to happen in me, this courage so that I won't be ashamed that I would continue to confess Jesus because the one way that I can see this going poorly is I get ashamed and I back off from him and then he's not honored in me. But he says, I want him to be honored in me and I'm eagerly expecting that he's going to be honored in my decisions, my life, whether it's through my life or my death. See, Paul's looking at the bigger picture. He's not zoned in simply to his two-year imprisonment in Rome. He's able to, to step back and spread the screen out a little bit and get a bigger view, a wider angle. He goes, here's the deal. I can rejoice in Jesus right now because I know that one way or another, be it through life that I get to keep living and do some things that proclaim the name of Jesus or be it through death in which I get to be with him, one way or another, I know this turns out for me being freed from this. If you don't hear anything else, I hope you grab this. The certainty of Jesus' rescue enables happiness in the hardest of circumstances. In your greatest uneasiness and the greatest heart, you're going, I don't know how it's going to turn out. The certainty that Jesus has rescued those, he has done what it takes to set free from sin and the penalty of death for all those who hope in only him. He's already done that, and his word has promised that he's coming, and he's going to deliver on the promise of salvation. He's going to deliver us perfectly into his presence. The, the certainty of what Jesus has already done in his rescue and what he's going to do in his rescue, it's sure. It's as sure as his life and death and his resurrection. It's sure and certain, and that, that enables happiness for us, even in our greatest uncertainties. kind of like in life that you have two lists, right? You can have a list of all the things that you're uncertain about, and then you can have a list of the things that you, like Paul, could write at the top and say, I know. I know this. And in life, just our human limitations, our finite experiences as, as men and women on this earth is this, there's always going to be infinitely more on the list of uncertainties than there is on the list of I know for sure. But here's the deal. 
the stuff that's on the list of, I know if we're trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, is undefeated. It can't be beat. There may be more quantity on the I don't know list, but the I know list goes, we got all the strength, all the quality, here's what I know. And so often we let uncertainty suck the joy out of our lives because we focus on the uncertainty instead of acknowledging the uncertainty and focusing on I know my Jesus. Like the unbeatable argument, right? So many of you, I love you so deeply. I feel the need to be honest with you. So many of you, even this morning, after an Alabama win, they won last night. My team won last night. You have come in here and just absolutely tried to just slay me with your tongues. <laughs> the nicest of you has maybe not said much, but you've looked at me and I've known what you meant. I knew, Dennis. It was really obvious in that way you looked at me that you were saying, <laughs> they almost lost. Ha <laughs> ha. Right? But here's the thing. If you're an Alabama fan, right? I was a fan in the bad years, so I'm enjoying the good years. Right? We're going to have some bad ones again probably in the next five years or so if I had to guess. Right? But I'm enjoying it right now. Here's the thing as an Alabama fan. Here's the thing you can always say as an Alabama fan. Y'all aren't going to like this. We're all going to worship Jesus again at the end of the service. It's going to be great together, even if you don't like it. Right? You can say anything you want to say to me as an Alabama fan. You know what I can say back as a response? 18. 18, because that's how many national championships we got, right? So it's like, like you can talk to me about whatever you want to say. <laughs> you can be like, Georgia beat the britches off them last year in the second half. Showed in, 18, right? Like, 18, <laughs> right? 18, it's like, hey, we beat y'all. Y'all lost two games around. I'm like, you sure did. Come talk to me when you got, like, not even 18. Talk to me just about eight, right? Like, you only have to have the one in front, right? Because we got 18, right? I can find ways to sneak 18 in, right? Right, you'll be talking to me about Georgia football. I'll be like, you know, this seems a little random, but you know what age you are when you usually graduate high school? 18, right? Like, I'll just be anywhere, right? Right? And when you start to get the vote, it's kind of random. We're talking about 18, right? Like, you know, like, 18. You just can't mess with that answer, right? Now, as silly as that can be, and as obnoxious as Alabama fans can be, and I can make that joke because I am one. Do you understand that no matter what uncertainty is pointing into your soul and screaming loud at you, pay attention, here's what you don't know. Be fearful, here's what you don't know. Right? No matter what is shouting to your soul about uncertainty, there is a rock-solid answer, and it is, I know Jesus. And I know the gospel. Paul said, I'm in prison for this gospel. Paul said, I, I, I'm joyful because this gospel's going out because of my imprisonment. Hard things happening to me, but the gospel's being talked about out there in Rome. I'm excited. Just really quick to refresh us. It's really easy for us, especially in kind of southern Bible Belt territory, to think that the gospel, that the message of Christianity is a story that says we're all a little bit bad. And we need a little bit of help from Jesus to be a little bit better so that we'll be good enough to be accepted by God. That is not the gospel that's found in Scripture. Right? To say that that's the gospel is to sell Jesus short of his glory. And it's to confuse people who need to hope only in him. As I can tell, the scripture doesn't say that we're a little bit bad. It doesn't even say that we're a lot bit bad, but we add 7% to the mix and we need Jesus to come give us a lot of help, 93%. That's not the gospel message. Ephesians 2 tells us clearly that when we are in our sins before we know Jesus, we're not just a little bit bad, we're dead in our sins. We're dead in our sins. Doesn't mean you aren't capable of doing an honorable thing to help somebody. 
doesn't mean that you can't make good moral decisions. But it means that in terms of your spiritual situation, you're dead. I've never seen dead people do a lot. <laughs> Usually they stay where you left them, right? The Bible says, hey, without Jesus, before Jesus, unless his grace takes reign in your heart and starts to move and do things in your heart, before that happens, guess what? You are. You're dead. And yet the great God of the universe, whose standard is absolute perfection, he goes, you want to be with me? I'd love to have you with me. Just show me your card that says you're completely righteous. That's his standard. He goes, hey, listen, I want you to be near, but perfection, righteousness, that's the standard. He goes, here's the deal. I'll send my son, Jesus, because you couldn't live out this perfect thing even if you tried. You're dead in your sin. Here's Jesus. And Jesus lives it out. And if you'll just trust in Jesus, he'll give his righteousness to you. That's the gospel that motivates Paul. That's the gospel that allows Paul to be empowered to say, I will rejoice. The uncertainties may be big and they may be hurtful. I'm not going to minimize those, but they're not bigger than what I do know about my Jesus and about what he has done for me. And if I take my focus off of what I'm not sure about and put my focus on what I am sure about, I bet it will change my life such that the pattern in me starts to be rejoicing. He says, I'll rejoice because I know that one way or another, this is going to turn out for my deliverance. Now, what's the, the one way? Or another, verse 21. He's going to tell us about what the two poles he's standing between are. How could this turn out for him one way or another? Verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far Better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. See what Paul's aware of here? He says, Hey, I'm imprisoned, and this imprisonment could turn into my execution. But as long as I'm alive, that means I get to do life on this earth for the honor of Jesus. I get to talk to him and be led by him as best as I can in faith as I pray and I seek his heart out. I get to be led by him for his glory, his honor, make his name famous. For me to live is Christ. For me to die, though, is, is gain. I get even more. I get even bigger. I get even better. He says it's far better for me to depart and get to go be with Jesus. Here's what he knows. Nothing better in quality is happening by me being here right now. We might get a new fast food place in town, and that'll be cool, but it won't be better. <laughs> they may tell me I did get the bid, or I did get the job, or the trouble went away, or the sickness went away. They may tell me all that stuff, and that will be amazing, but it won't even start to compare to what I'm going to have when I sit unfiltered right there with Jesus. He says, for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. He says, if I depart from here, I get to go be with him. But if I stay here... I do something that's not better, but I do something that he says is more necessary. He says, I'm convinced that it's more necessary for me to stay here. So that he can tell people about Jesus. Listen, hear this. There's unstoppable hope of happiness in Jesus' presence through our death and in Jesus' glory through our lives. 
You want to know how you can always have hope of happiness, how you can always have access to happiness? Here's what you can count on. If I die, I get the presence of Jesus. How can anybody ever say I've lost? But if I live, I get the glory of Jesus through my life. How can anybody ever say I've lost? I don't think I've shared this, but when I was in high school, I was, um, I was a little shady. Um, maybe not comparatively, some other folks, but I had my, my little manipulative ways and things I did stuff. I tried to be the cute charmer both to the teachers and the girls. <laughs> the way that I would ask a girl out sometimes, I was kind of known as a joker, always making little jokes and sarcastic remarks. And so if I want to ask a girl out, I'd, I'd say, I'll use Jamie because that's my wife's name. And because if I say any other name, I'll have to talk about it at lunch today, right? <laughs> I'd say, Jamie, hey, seven o'clock good? She'd be like, what are you, 7 o'clock, what are you talking about, right? Or if she hated me, she'd be like, what are you talking about, 7 o'clock, right? Either way. I go, 7 o'clock. She'd be like, what are you talking about, Friday night, 7? She'd be like, what are you talking about, Friday night, 7? I'd be like, well, I'm going to pick you up. We're going to go on a date, right? Here's what I'd do. I'd just play it based off of her response. <laughs> if she went, oh, you, you don't want to take me on a date, I'd be like, well, I just asked you at 7. I would, you know what? And if she eventually went, yeah, I'll take you on a date, I'd be like, all right, girl, I'll be there at 7, right? But if she went like, hey, I don't, you, you're crazy. You know, we ain't going on no date. We've been friends for way too long. I'd be like, girl, you know I'm playing with you. I ain't trying to go on no date. Right? <laughs> right? Now, if you're a young man in this room, <laughs> if you ever use that tactic and I find out about it, I will cut you off at the knees for the glory of God. Okay? <laughs> If you're a young man in this room and you ask my daughter on any date in any way, the most godly prayer-filled way you could before 35, I will still cut you off at the knee. All right? But see, I was positioning myself. Right? Now, I was positioning myself out of fear of rejection and of not wanting to look uncool. I was taking this weak, wimpy mode of asking somebody something. I was positioning myself, though, to win either way. I get to go, no, girl, you're crazy. I don't want to go on a date with you. Or I get to go on a date. Right? Just now, I'm thinking, I've never had this thought before, but I should have started out with, like, hey, you paying? She'd be like, you paying for what? Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock what? Right, that's what, I don't know why, why didn't I start there, right? I have no idea why I didn't start there. Like, I'd like to take you on a date, girl. I ain't got no money. Right? I don't know. Right, do you understand this? That if you're hoping in Jesus for your salvation, if you're placing your expectation of happiness in your life squarely upon Jesus. None of us does it perfectly, but if that's your aim to go, I want to live a life that's happy today in my Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to look to him. That's my aim. If you're doing that, you're in a win-win situation. Because the worst that life could throw at you would take you into his presence perfectly. And anything less than that will lead you here to get to point your life at him and make much of him. And enjoy him with others. Man, does that bring a little bit of perspective to our uncertainty? Does it, does it not, not make it, I'm not trying to take the pain away because then we're not being real. We're not being human. But I'm just saying, does it make the pain look the right size in light of the happiness we can have in our Jesus? Finish it out. Paul goes on to say this. Verse 25. He's going to tell us what he thinks is going to happen in the situation. He says, convinced of this, convinced of the Philippians' need for his ministry. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and, there's our word, joy in the faith. 
so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says, listen, I'm convinced. Now, when he says convinced, he's, he's not using a term that's as strong as when he said, I know. Back at the top of our passage, back at the end of verse 18. Verse 18 is solid, solidified, no doubt about it, I know. He's saying here, I'm convinced, though. Though I don't know if it's going to be life or death, I'm not sure about how it goes. I'm not solid on whether I die, whether I'm released or I'm not. I'm not sure about that, but I am convinced in my gut. I believe he's saying this is not revelation from God. If you read in Acts, there's time where God sends an angel and tells Paul, you're going to go to Rome. So he feels pretty confident the rest of his life, all the trials he's experienced in between where he's at in Rome, he's like, I'm going to end up in Rome. God told me. It was revelation. This is not revelation. This is Paul saying this is my conviction. This is what I believe deeply in my soul as I'm walking with God. I'm convinced of this, that I will remain. I will live. My life will continue on, on this earth for a while, for your progress and for your joy in your faith. So that in me you may have ample cause of glory in Christ Jesus, because he plans to come to them again. Listen, just really quickly, I want you to hear this. Kind of another little tidbit on happiness in Jesus. Right? The happiness that we can have in Jesus is tied to the purpose that Jesus made us with. Our happiness, though, Conversely, our happiness is always hindered when our actions are disconnected from our purpose. Our happiness is always minimized. It's always wounded. Our happiness is always hindered when we take our actions in our lives and when we disconnect those from the purpose that God made us with. When the bulk of my life is aimed at stuff other than my purpose in life, it's going to make sense that at some point or another, eventually that catches up with me, and I'm robbed of some of the happiness that I can have in Jesus. When I'm not fulfilling the role that I was made for. Paul goes, listen, I find joy if I don't get to go be with King Jesus because it's going to get to help you. I'm going to get to preach more to you. I'm going to get to write more letters to you. I'm going to get to teach you more about how to see King Jesus. And so in that, I find a lot of happiness because that's why he put me on the earth. That's why when I met him on a road and he saved me radically, he didn't just suck me up to heaven. Because <laughs> there's one thing at least that we can do on earth that we can't do in heaven, and that's tell people about Jesus who don't know him. When we step outside of the purpose, and when we fight and strain to get outside of the purpose, and listen, make sure you, you hear this. This is not just a story of quote-unquote good and quote-unquote bad. This is not just, hey, I rebel against God with everything I can, and I say, forget you, God, and I tell everybody there is no God and that Jesus is alive. This, it's not just that. It's also I choose a lot of really interesting, really quote-unquote good things, and I let that be the whole of my life instead of letting the whole of my life be the worship of God. And then letting all the good things fall in place. When we do that, we're sacrificing happiness that's available to us in Jesus. I have no doubt that we in this room, many of us know Jesus sincerely. The question for us, starting with me, I said us to include myself, is are, are we so busy with 7,000 other agendas and objectives that we choose or that we let be forced upon us and we're doing all this stuff and then we're trying to tie our purpose in on the end of that? 
are we going, King Jesus? I want to see you and I want to show you with my life. And that's the, the center of what I want my life to be about. And then everything else can attach. Where are we starting? Where are we ending? Where do we need to adjust our lives? I want us to end in, in, a, in a certain way today, and it, it may be a little weird, but you're going to have to help. Okay. We, we sang a song just a minute ago, a song familiar to most of us, many of us, Waymaker. I just want us to sing that chorus once or twice. We're, we're just going to sing it a cappella, right, with me leading. So if you don't sing loud, it's going to get rough in here, okay? But we're singing this to God to say this. We're saying to you, God, regardless if you show me the next circumstance and how it's going to turn out, regardless if you tell me the answer to the thing that's crippling me because I don't know, whether you do that or not, you're totally capable. And even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, you're at work. Would you just choose today? As much as your heart can feel that, that's amazing. But would you choose today to sing that truth about this God? In light of all that you don't know, would you choose to sing what we do know to be true? Let's sing Waymaker. God, that's who you are. We're not like you. We don't know everything. There's more that we don't know than there is that we do know. We're not like you. Thank you that we're not like you and that we can't do everything. Thank you for all the times that you didn't do what we wanted and that turned out to be absolutely best. God, would you help us now to submit and surrender our uncertainty to you? It's scary, God. It's, it's scary for us. We have small perspective. We have souls that we try to wrap around very small things. It's hard for us to peel our fingers off of them, but would you help us to surrender our uncertainties to you? And as we do that by faith in you, as we continue to seek you for outcomes, would you help us to find happiness in trusting you regardless of what outcomes or when outcomes do come. God, let this not be a word that falls void upon our hearts and fails to shape us for tomorrow, for this week. But God, I pray we would walk out in light of your word and that we would choose to say yes and I will rejoice. For I know the God that's bigger than my uncertainty. Would you remind us of that this week? In the most unexpected of moments, would you by your spirit remind us? Please, God, would you do that? I'm expecting you to. God, as you remind us, let us not just have intellectual experience with you. But God, would you gladden our hearts in you? Lead us, God. How do we need to surrender uncertainty to you and find you to be our happiness? Would you tell us each one?
Would you lead us personally? Would you lead us collectively as a church? For your glory and our joy therein. We ask all this for your name, Jesus.